Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I'll open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known, that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. Those are the first four verses of Psalm 78, the first 39 verses of which are the psalm appointed for today, Tuesday, May the 24th, 2022. Welcome today to Faith Seeking Understanding. I'm John Green, your host. I'm thankful that you're along today. I I truly am. I appreciate um, your listening to this podcast. So today we're continuing in the book of Deuteronomy in the 8th chapter again, verses 11 to 20. Um, we're, we're looking at those passages um, in preparation for the blessing of Pentecost. And the blessing of Pentecost is that we've been, had God's Spirit poured out upon us, and we, but we need to remember certain things. We need to remember who we are and whose we are. That's the main thing, and we need to keep the main thing the main thing. It needs to be the central focus of our lives. And how do we do that is sort of the, the theme of the day. And so uh, we begin with Moses' words here in this passage from Deuteronomy, take care lest you forget your Lord, the Lord your God. How, do, how would you forget him? You know, and it would be, you're just not remembering. And Moses says, no, it, take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and rules and statutes, which I command you today. So it, there's, there's something about obedience that causes you to remember and something about disobedience or non-obedience, whichever way you want to look at it, that that allows you to forget the Lord. And so when you think about him, when you think about the commandments, when you begin to try and sort through how to apply a commandment in any given situation, then then what, and Moses is, is exactly right about this, that, that by the doing of things, you remember other things. You remember who the giver of the law is because you're thinking through every situation through in terms of how does the law apply here to the way I'm supposed to react and act in this situation, then, then you should be thinking of him while you do that. But if you go off into some other philosophical tangent and say, this is the way that I'm going to think through this situation, then you forget God. And the remembrance of God is the important thing. And the remembrance, the way we remember him, is by keeping his law. We remember who he is, the lawgiver, the covenant God, who sought out a people, saved a people, and made covenant with those people. So you're remembering what kind of God you serve. You're showing fear for him and the right kind of fear, which is spiritual worship, which is the way we live our lives. He says, take care that lest you forget, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied. I mean, you're speaking to a group of people who have had nothing for most of the time they've been in the wilderness. They've subsisted. They've existed. They haven't lived in so many ways. So he says, you know, this is a great trap and a snare to you to have these things so that when you have all that, when everything is multiplied, when God has blessed you mightily, take care lest your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God. And then he's going to say, here are the reasons you should remember the Lord your God. He brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water. He brought you water out of the flinty rock. He fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. 
In other words, if you can pass those tests, we have to successfully pass the tests in order to receive the blessing, because we have to be prepared to receive that blessing. And the way that we get prepared is to be thankful on a daily basis for everything the Lord's doing for us. And we need to keep short accounts of that. And what that means is we, we would regularly during the day thank him. Thank him for everything. One of the Jewish uh, thanksgivings every day is that they have a belief that the soul essentially leaves the body during sleep. And so when you wake, then, then there's a restoration of body and soul is one coherent unit. And so the, one of the first things they're to do upon waking is, is to be thankful for that that I lived through the night, and now I'm a whole person again. He says, Beware lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. In other words, the, the great temptation you're going to have is to pride. But you don't have anything unless he gave it to you. You wouldn't have this land. You wouldn't have any of the resources of this land had the Father not given you those things. So yes, you worked, once you had the land, you worked and you produced and you, you know, got something out of it. But it's only because God blessed you by gifting you the land. It's only because God blessed you by gifting you what you needed to figure out how you could prosper, by giving you the physical ability to prosper. And then ultimately, you owe thanks to him for all those things. You, you, don't, have, you don't possess any of those things that he hasn't already given you. You shall remember, again, the Lord your God, for it's he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is to this day. So, in other words, the blessing that you have is a result of the covenant that he made with the fathers. It's not because of you. It's because of the fathers. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you will surely perish. It's exactly what God said to Adam and Eve in the garden. If you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely perish. It's the same word, exactly the same thing. Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so shall you perish. Why? Because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. And so if you have any doubts that he's referring back to the Garden of Eden in this, what is the sin which God convicts Adam of in the garden. It's because you obeyed the voice of your wife. And the, the point is, is that, that there was another voice that called you to obedience. It was my voice. And you ignored my voice and you obeyed the voice of your wife. And so that's what he's accusing them of here. It, like the nations the Lord makes to perish before you, those pagan nations going after other gods, so will you perish because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. You began to obey the voice of these other gods or the voice of your desires. And it's important that we do that. And, and Jesus here is asked in this gospel lesson from Luke 11, verses 1 to 13, he's asked, how do we get this right? You know, to teach us how to pray. And why would you want to learn how to pray? Is the, is the point of learning to pray because you're an idiot and you, you don't know how to just have a, you know, a conversation with God? No, it, it, it's based in two things, right? One is, is it how do I, how do I approach the throne? And what are the things that I should pray for? Why would I want to know what I should pray for? Well, because I want to pray for the things that God wants. Because I want to see God do the things that I pray. I want to see him grant those requests. So I want to pray according to God's character and God's desires. So Jesus was praying in a certain place, 
And remember yesterday's lesson, he was praying as well, and the disciples were with him, and then he went into the discourse about, who am I? And I was going to tell something, but I'm not going to tell it. So anyway, one of the disciples says to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. So in other words, John taught his disciples. Now, I think you should teach us. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. And I was, let the praises of your name be stacked up because it is different from all other names. And the most important thing we can have is to know you by name. And so that you pray that you would hallow that, glorify it, make it separate, apart, and distinct. And that's the way the Jews handle the divine name is that they don't say it. <clears throat> so hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. In other words, bring your kingdom down here to earth. It's the recognition that the world's a mess, but your kingdom's not. And we would see your kingdom here on earth. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And that's manna. That is day to day to day. I've heard people talk about this before. I've heard them say, well, the, the tense of, the, um, of this is that, that, that it's, a, it's an ongoing action. And so you're asking for tomorrow's bread today. No, this is clearly a reference to the man in the wilderness. And you didn't get tomorrow's bread today except for the day before the Sabbath. That's the only time you got tomorrow's bread today. So, no, it's not what it means at all. You can't just go to the tense of a verb to determine what is actually being said. You know, sometimes it helps, but here it's not helpful at all because there's an image at play that if you just look at the tense of the verb, you're missing the, the biblical image and the biblical reference Jesus is making. So he says, give us each day our daily bread. That's enough. Let us be like the little birds fed by the mama bird. And he says, but then he goes on to say, forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who's indebted to us. In other words, we are to act like God, and, and unless we do that, we don't have any right, unless we forgive others, we don't actually have the right to ask God to forgive us our sins, because we're still holding on to our judgment against others, and lead us not into temptation. And James had said yesterday, God doesn't tempt anybody, but what we can do is we can be led into temptation because of the path that we're on. And so we're going to face temptations along the way, and we, we're asking here for God to minimize those things. Don't take us in places where we're going to be tempted. It's a recognition of our own weakness, frankly. And he said to them, which of you, he's, he's explaining here why to pray the, this way, which of you has a friend who will go, with him, go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And I've told you this several times, that, that one of not just one of, but maybe the cardinal virtue in Judaism is hospitality. And it's all based in the reading of, of Genesis 18. God has a private audience with, uh, with Abraham to comfort him after his um, circumcision. That's not in the text, by the way. It's the way that the, the Jewish rabbis have, have long read that passage. Um, and, and then three men appear, and Abraham leaves God to go tend to the needs of the three men. And so what they say is there's, there's obviously then no greater virtue than providing hospitality. And one of the problems in the sin in Sodom in Jewish minds, and it's easily true, is this lack of hospitality. And there's a bigger story to that. I'm not going to go into all of it, the way that they, the, the midrash on, on that. But 
but it's important to do that. And so if somebody asks you to help them provide hospitality, you as a Jew are now providing hospitality yourself. And so it's important that you respond to that well to, your, to the best of your ability to do so. And so he will answer him from within, don't bother me. The door's shut now and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. He says, I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he's his friend. Yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. The impudence being bothering me, (laughs) being so bold as to come and ask me in the middle of the night to provide something. And so he says, because of that, he'll get up and do it. Not because he wants to. No, but because he, he, he has to. He's been awakened. And because this one is so important to this one that he will not go away without receiving. He says, and I tell you, ask and it'll be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it'll be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? So Jesus is saying, be bold. Be bold when you come before the throne. But, but he's also taught him how to pray. And if you take away the, the ways that he says how to pray, and you apply that to your own prayer life, he says, ask for your daily bread. What are you asking for? He says, ask to be forgiven. Are you forgiving? I mean, it, there's just, it's very simple, the, the things, that, the principles that are, that are involved here. So how do we know what to ask for? We ask according to the, the boundaries, as it were, of the Lord's Prayer. And we know that if we ask those things, God will give us those things. And then at the end, after, after saying, you know, it, this is what you would do in these situations, he said, if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. You hear that? Evil, good. It's because we're not good. Only God is good. And he says that when the rich young ruler comes and asks him, a question and calls him good teacher. He says, why are you saying that? There's only one good, and that's God alone. He said, but if, so Jesus here says, if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And so it, it's he's, he's comparing and contrasting humans and God, and he's telling them what you should ask for, right? The Holy Spirit. Ask for the Holy Spirit. If you ask for that, the Heavenly Father will give it to you, and you know he will because he's good. So when he says you're evil, it's because it sets up that second sentence, which points to what God will do. And so God is good. He's the only good being in the universe in all three ways, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So he's good in all those. And But we, in contrast to him, can't be considered to be anything but evil because we're sinful. In the passage from James, he, he starts with this. It, it, you're going to hear this word twice. You're going to see it in two different ways. He says, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. It's exactly the same message that Moses gives here in, in that eighth chapter of Deuteronomy. Every good and perfect gift is from above. It's not something that you generated out of nothing. No, it, it comes from God, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. He is the same God yesterday, today, and forever. There's, there's no changeability or mutability in God. 
of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be kind of a first fruits of his creatures. He's not speaking generically of birth here. He's speaking specifically of those who are in Christ Jesus, that we are a kind of first fruits of his creatures, those who have been born again, those who have been, have been given the right to become children of God. That's what he means by first fruits, that, that we are the, the beginning of the establishment of God's kingdom as it's being established in us. And so in that way, we're the first fruits. We are the first evidence of the kingdom of God being established on the earth in us. So, and then he goes on to say, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Well, I hear better than than most people would think I do, but I am not slow to speak. <laughs> In fact, it's the first thing that always happens with me is it, the stuff just comes out of my mouth, right? So, but it, but we have to be more careful than I am. <laughs> we have to to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and and even slower to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Your anger is not going to produce God's righteousness either in you or in those who have to deal with your anger. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. James here is encouraging his hearers, his, his readers, to, to, to the same thing that Moses, or, yeah, Moses encourages his people to in Deuteronomy. He, he's saying, just clear the decks. Keep the commandments of God. That's the way you're going to remember God. And then he goes on to say, but be doers of the word and not hearers only. It's exactly what Moses said. Keep the commandments. Do these things. If you do these things, that's your way of remembering God. You're embodying those commandments. And that's the the same word that we use at communion when we talk about remembering. It's not just an intellectual exercise. No, in the elements of bread and wine, we remember in in a physical way because we're not just a mind. We're also a body. And so there's muscle memory, for instance, in all kinds of things in our lives. If we do something repetitively, then, then we tend to get better at it, and it tends to become natural, and we don't think about it. Breathing being the very first thing. But you know what? You can get your breathing wrong. You can begin breathing through your mouth, and that's not intended to be a normal way of breathing. And it changes things about you when you breathe that way all the time. That's a fight-or-flight response. It's not peace-giving or life-giving. It's not something that brings into the body. No, it just comes into the lungs and goes back out. And so, so in order to remember, sometimes we have to go back and begin to practice and and do the basic things all over again to kind of reboot our lives. And here he's saying the same things, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, because to the extent that you're hearers only, that muscle memory is going to fade. He says, and when you do that, when you are just hearers only, he says, you deceive yourselves. In the beginning, remember, he says, don't be deceived by believing that you get things for yourselves, every good and perfect gift comes from above. And here he says that, that when we are hearers of the word and not doers, we are deceiving ourselves about our own Christianity. And he goes on to explain that. Anyone's a hearer of the word and not a doer. He's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once, again, forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the mirror looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he'll be blessed in his doing. 
So did you hear that? You, you'll be blessed in your doing. It's the way we remember. He becomes part of our lives. It becomes the, not, not just what we believe, but who we are. And then we are the Lord's. And we are the ones who don't just hear what Jesus says. We do it. And in doing it, we become more and more like him. And we're always reminded of the one who has given us this word. If anyone thinks he's religious and doesn't bridle his tongue, uh uh-oh, now you've gone to meddling, but deceives his heart, he tricks his heart into believing that he is a good man or a Christian man. But if he doesn't bridle his tongue, he says he's deceiving his heart. He says if you do that, then your religion is worthless. Religion that's pure and undefiled before God the Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So what he's saying is, is that, that pure and undefiled religion before God is that which does the things that God said to do. And to visit orphans and widows is to visit and spend time with those who, who are owed something, the downcast in society, not to visit with the rich and the mighty, but to visit with the, with the orphans and widows in their affliction. To be there, not like Job's friends were, who initially started out well, spent a few days with him without saying a word, but then finally decided, no, I'm going to afflict you further by accusing you of sin and that that it's your own fault that you're in the situation that you're in. So visiting widows and orphans is to align ourselves with the marginalized and outcast in society and in their affliction and not to heap further pain on them. So we're called to do that. We're called to, to be with those who are in difficulty and to align ourselves with them instead of aligning ourselves with the rich and the powerful because there's no gain in that because that, that's just self-seeking. And so to align ourselves with poor the widows and the orphans is, is the opposite of self-seeking because they can't do anything in repayment for you. 